Hello, listeners, and welcome back to another episode of the Formulas of One Jackass podcast. Uh, as always, my name is Ryan, and joining me is Christopher here. Uh, this should be episode 13, I think. So, yeah, we're going to have a bit of a review of the Austrian Grand Prix and a preview of the British Grand Prix, you know, with the sprint race qualifying. Um, so, lots to talk about. Can't wait to dwell into it. Yeah, so last podcast we talked about the, the Styrian national anthem. Uh, Christopher, what did you think about the Austrian national anthem rendition that happened before the race started? So I'm a bit of an old school uh, person when it comes to national anthems. You know, uh, I love the classical versions and I was a bit taken aback by this. <laughs> it was pretty, pretty hardcore rocky. <clears throat> I know yeah, a lot of people loved it. Red Bull. It was just Red Bull. Yeah, it yeah, was, yeah. I suppose it was just a celebrations of the fans returning to a race Absolutely. in full capacity. Yes. Because, you know, for last year and the beginning races of this year, we've driven in front of uh, empty grandstands. Um, in Barcelona, when we went there, there were a few fans, a few thousand fans here and there. But Austria was the first time in, you know, a very long time we had full capacity in the crowd so there was a bit of a do before the race started you know airplanes parachutists fighter jets and then this national anthem so i thought it fit it did no it did it hyped me up and i think people loved it and uh yeah it it, it was a it was a good race it was proper red bull as you say it's wild crazy and uh yeah i'm sick of hearing the austrian anthem on the podiums anyway so it's nice to have a, (laughs) a more interesting version of it i suppose yeah, I suppose from a, from a country that brought us, you know, Beethoven and Mozart, it's something nice. Beethoven is German, mate. Uh, Austrian. Mozart is technically also German, apparently. Ah, Even though fair. he's from Salzburg or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. But anyways, it was nice to have this, uh, what is it, like this rock punk sort of rendition, some, some woman wailing on the guitar. And it looked cool, time, man. It looked anthem. badass. But yeah, uh, yeah. that's so that what was F1 a is about. Complete, right? complete opposite of, you know, the, the stereo national anthem. Of that is just poppy traditional. And here it was just, you know, full out guitar sound, balls to the wall yeah. sound. This cacophony of everything. Yeah. So I, I, I enjoyed it. I also enjoyed the stereo and Schlager mix. I have to admit, like it was unique and it's very culturally appropriate so it's perfect yeah I've, i mean i'm not uh, afraid to admit that i've played it on my phone on youtube quite a few times already of course uh, you had i mean i've seen ryan crying listening to it looking out his window imagining the austrian mount styrian mountains you know mm-hmm. yeah. yeah it's the ryan thing to do god anyways to the race yes and penalties uh, man let's talk about that let's yeah so I think the main concern is, uh, well, not the concern, but the main affected would be Lando Norris mm-hmm. uh, getting a penalty for the the incident with Sergio Perez on not the opening lap, but on the lap after the safety car restart. Uh, deemed that he didn't leave enough space, uh, got a five second penalty. So I thought that was absolutely ridiculous. Uh, luckily. Lando Norris did end up on the podium, which, you know, compared to last year, his first time on the podium, he was there because um, Lewis Hamilton had a five-second penalty and he had to be inside that uh, five seconds of uh, Hamilton to finish on the podium. This time, 
he finished on the podium uh, with a five second penalty beating lewis hamilton on 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 merit naturally lewis had problems with his car but still um lando norris we've spoken about him in many podcasts this weekend or rather last weekend last race qualifying second finishing third with a time penalty that was highly highly questionable like wow yeah for sure he is on it like he is becoming such a complete driver i feel there's still things that you know in practice for instance he goes across and uh, tests his limits but maybe that's his style like you know that's how he tests the limit but he's just been on it and he's a dependable driver last year we saw like glimpses of it but no one would have could have foreseen that he would be so consistent coming into this year and just being so like he drives like he's been in f1 for ages and finally now Mm -hmm. he has a good car to prove it but the thing is he's still learning he's 21 like uh yeah really impressive uh not only the not only the on track so if we're talking about the on track this is his third year in formula one Mm -hmm. uh and he hasn't really been involved in any silly incidents on track true racing wise you know he's gotten a few penalty points for ignoring red uh red flags double waved yellows and stuff like that which uh the the red flag incident i also find quite iffy uh, as you know from previous yeah. podcasts, but he is a dependable driver. You know, sure. he doesn't do silly mistakes, but um, to me, it looks like a more complete package when you look at his marketability Absolutely. aspect as well. Absolutely. Of how that's changed and matured over these past couple of months. Like, he is starting to look like the complete future world champion package if he can sustain this form that he's on yeah uh he's 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 going places yeah mclaren should try their best to keep on to him because i know that he knows what his worth is uh, becoming now and lots of team are looking to find a good second driver let's say red bull for instance mercedes for instance so you know seats possibly opening up so um yeah um i think it's good for mclaren that they signed a three-year deal i think it's good that he stays there because they seem to be a dream on a upwards trajectory but yeah just talking about the penalties just real quick because um yeah we've always complained about the stewards not being consistent enough for this race weekend they actually were consistent and it's interesting to see because i've always thought uh, it would be good to have a race to see where they either punish all these kind of misdemeanors that are not really you know um like it might not necessarily be a clear-cut case so to punish them and see how it is and it's just like watching an F1 esports race. Everyone gets penalties, doesn't matter, and then it goes down. So, uh, like Michael Masi said, that he wanted the drivers to be able to race against each other more hardcore, pushing each other out a little bit. And I think the example with Perez and Norris was the perfect example of that. He Perez was ahead for a little bit, but not quite. Norris not decided to choose his line. Perez still had time to actually bail out, but mm-hmm. he decided to stick it and see what would happen. Yeah, yeah. And then he ended off track. So I think in that case, it's more a case of Perez being a bit overly optimistic. With Albon and Hamilton last year, Albon was ahead and Lewis tips him and then Albon goes off. That is a bit more clear cut in my opinion. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but then the steward had to be consistent and then punish Perez for uh, for his two um, misdemeanors later on in the race. And I thought that was interesting because we've always complained about stewards not being consistent enough and this time they actually were. And now we've seen yeah, that we want to see reasons. more racing and we don't like, want to I, see I penalties. Agree, I, I agree with the lack of consistency. This time they were consistent, but they were consistent on the base of the first decision, exactly. which was the wrong decision. Exactly, exactly. You know, so I, I question that if this is deemed dangerous driving, 
Um, why wasn't the incident between Mazepin and Schumacher in Baku um, even looked at yeah. at all? Because that was really dangerous. Or Bottas' spin in the pit lane. That should have been yeah. a bigger incident even because that's potentially something that's much more risky. We're on track. They're racing towards, uh, racing against each other and a little contact happens. Perez goes off track. And then that punished by, by such a big margin. I thought that, yeah, I agree with you. I think uh, that case should be an example of fair close racing because it's similar to Verstappen Leclerc in Austria in 2019 you know like a bit of bumping but they're fighting for for position like a uh, important position and you can see it um so yeah and I think at the end of the day once we see a race result and we see penalties applied and we can't understand what the actual you know position of the drivers is that's not a positive we want to understand the results straight away after the race we want to see a driver in third place finish third and not, you know, being penalized later on. So, uh, yeah. As well as sort of, they've always said that on the first lap, the opening lap, there is more leniency. Yeah. Well, this incident occurred on essentially what is an opening lap right after the safety car restart. Yeah. So why wasn't that same leniency applied as well? Like to me, I saw nothing wrong with it. It was mm -hmm. fair racing. It was hard racing. Mm -hmm. Um, Lando was in front going into the apex. He wasn't obligated to, you know, leave the space at that time. Perez made the conscious decision of sticking to the outside and following that through, knowing he's going to run out of room and there's gravel. Uh, he could have bailed out of the move earlier, in my opinion. I think we saw a good example of that with Charles Leclerc, mm -hmm. uh, where he realized that the outside move isn't yeah. going to work this time and safely bailed out and exactly. was able to continue without losing too much time. Yeah. So I think it was, um, um, yeah, it was unfortunate. Yeah. And then you have the, Leclerc, just because you mentioned the first lap incident, you have the Leclerc Gasly incident from the Styrian Grand Prix the weekend mm -hmm. before. And that would be much more easy to punish Leclerc for what he did than ruin Gasly's race, even though it's a first lap incident. I mean, that's something they should have looked at. And that is... Yeah more dangerous slashing someone's rear tire with your front wing uh when there's nothing no danger around you i mean yeah that seems to be more of a of something that should have been punished but anyway um it was a good race i find i uh, found uh, lots of things happening throughout the field even though it's the second time in a row we come to the same race it's interesting to see how how different of a race it can be sometimes um, and how ferrari for instance improved a lot um so yeah i think it was i think like, um, just last point on the Austrian Grand Prix. Um, I felt for Fernando Alonso. I yeah. think uh, the, the incident in qualifying where he was impeded by Sebastian Vettel on like the last corner of, of, of the lap. Yeah. Um, he himself thought he could have qualified fifth, sixth, maybe Alonso. fourth, even yeah. third, you know, and... Uh, uh, he ended up having a great race, you know, a great battle with uh, George Russell, who is, of course, a talent. Yeah. It was only for one championship point, but mm -hmm. this battle was significant. Yeah. I would have loved to see Fernando start higher up the grid and see what he could have done Absolutely. Uh, to, to be in the mid. Simply he's because back. Don't worry, you'll see that in the throughout yeah. this year, I think. So simply because, especially if, you know, Hamilton with his problem late on, when he smells blood, he knows exactly like he is like a shark uh, honing in relentless. Yeah. So if he was in a better position, perhaps he could have capitalized, which would have been good for Alpine. Yeah, um, sure. Only scoring one point, uh, uh, Esteban Ocam uh, retiring in the opening laps of the race, bring out the safety car. 
But um, yeah, for Alpine, in order to be competitive, they need to capitalize on these incidences in in weekends. Exactly. That if there is a problem or if there is a penalty for for one of the front runners, that they can capitalize. And I think Ferrari actually um, was the main beneficiary of, of, of these incidents yep. this race. I mean, Aston Martin did as well in Baku, for instance, you know, mm. being there at the right time at you know, the right place. That's that's so important. And Alpine, they are in a tough spot because every single point matter. So it was a good fight between Alonso and Russell. But as Alonso also said, he had just hoped it wasn't uh, George, you know, because uh, they're apparently mates and he didn't want to take the point away. But uh, that's F1 and it was good close racing just at the end of the race. So uh, what a treat. And yeah, with regards to Alonso and the fatal incident in the last corner on qualifying, they need to change that because the bunching up of the cars just before it's yeah it's it's not ideal like the last sector should be almost full out full on so they can't bunch up there um i don't mm. know so it, it seems to be miscommunication from every part except for alonso who was the victim and it's such a shame because yeah like you said he was on a good lap he could have qualified really well and the race would have been different for him yeah because key two was it was very interesting we had uh, verstappen Lando Norris, uh, Fernando Alonso. Uh, that's a very interesting race. Mm -hmm. But uh, just last point on, on Lando Norris, just going back to him. We started with him. Mm -hmm. Let's finish with him. Um, you know, on the up, on the rise, becoming more complete uh, as a driver, as a marketable person. Signed up to McLaren, which is a, a very good place to be because a brand could build a future around him if he keeps up this performance, you know. Um, Delivering results right now, young, so they can build a future with them. So I think any other team or manufacturer would be quite interested in in following Lando Norris over the next couple of years. Like sure. McLaren would be like uh, equally Aston Martin would be very interested in building uh, a brand around him simply because he does have that marketability uh, and and driving skills. Um, and who knows. Ferrari, Red Bull was always interested in Lando Norris, but uh, Helmut Marko decided that he didn't have the mature, the same level of maturity and intelligence as Max Verstappen had as a 14-year-old, 13-year-old, which, come face it, no one has that level of maturity and just True. insanity as a 13-year-old that Max Verstappen did. Yeah. So, yeah, interesting uh, interesting one to, to definitely look out for yeah. uh, every single race weekend. And that's what Formula 1 should be about, to, to, to follow someone and to be genuinely excited about the, the progress, the results. Um, that's why you watch. You know, that's why people have favorite drivers. Myself, I don't really have uh, favorite drivers. I like good driving, but I appreciate and really like seeing like, great talent performing and performing. Yeah. So, he is, uh, he is on the watch list, yeah. for sure. We've had a good couple of races. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's been a good season so far. What can I say? Uh, Max is slowly uh, edging a big gap, but um, it's interesting to see if Lewis can catch him. I think Lewis is getting more and more lit. He's getting more fired up. Uh, that's his rhetoric anyway. So uh, we'll be interested to see what happens here at this Grand Prix. I have yeah, a So there are actually that, uh, 29 points up for grabs yeah. this weekend. Yeah, oof. Ugh, yeah, weird number. So that's a weird number. So how we come to that um, number? So uh, if a driver scores the maximum amount of points possible this weekend, that would be um, the the usual twenty five points for the race victory. That will be one point for the fastest lap, 
and that will be three points for winning the sprint qualifying race. So new to Formula One, uh, the first time in this season and in its history, we're going to have a sprint qualifying race session, heat, whatever. Um, Red flag <laughs> session, call it. Mm, first stint, extended yeah, so, edition, Formula One. Uh, so give a give a F1 breakdown DLC. as to what this would look like. So explain the weekend, how it will look like, and what we can expect. Okay, so first of all, really interesting. We have FP1. I know I say really interesting because this is... On the Friday. On a Friday. Because this is the only session they have before going into qualifying. So they'll be treating it very differently than usual. So for that, it'll be some more exciting in the F3 practice one session. And then we have qualifying on Friday evening, I think. Uh, so most people can catch it in time. Uh, thank God, because it is a bit shame if... That was we wouldn't a, have my concern. To, yeah, exactly. Yeah. On a working day... Yeah, not to be able to watch the qualifying session if it happened at the same time as FP2 usually would be. Exactly. Uh, after which they have uh, on Saturday another free practice session. And then we have the first uh, race on the Saturday, the sprint race, which is going to be 100 kilometers. There is no mandatory pit stops or anything, so they can go on one tire if they, if they please. The winner gets three points, second place gets two points, and third place gets one point. And this ultimately decides the starting grid for Sunday's race. But as Chainbear on YouTube has also talked about uh, when this was first introduced, it's basically like having a red flag session introduced, uh, the race extended by 100 kilometers, and they just restart again when there's 305 kilometers to go, uh, and that's the normal race, which I think is the it's a good way to look at it. That's, that makes the most sense. It's just with an additional points on the first session. But I understand why F1 is doing it, first of all, because on the previous format, we would have a Friday with no excitement or action. It's for the hardcore fans if they want to watch free practice like me and Ryan. And I really enjoyed that, having a chill Friday to, to you know, get in to see how the cars are performing, what's happening the teams, any incidents happening. New technical happening. updates. Exactly. You know, the little yeah. chit-chatter that happens. It's a chill session. And then we have a little bit of excitement on Saturday with qualifying, which is uh, sometimes the most exciting part of the weekend because it can be very imp unpredictable. Weather can have a big effect. Tire strategy can have a big effect as well. So there's the one part of excitement. Then on Sunday, uh, we have the race, which is the main point of excitement. So two points of excitement in a weekend, on a Saturday and a Sunday. With this new format, we will have three times in the weekend where there's an excitement. There's a Friday uh, with the qualifying, initial qualifying, then the sprint race uh, on the Saturday and the race on Sunday. So that's what they're trying to bring in. So when people are watching F1, they're watching it and it's actually exciting. It's not just a boring free practice session. On top of that, both free practice sessions for this weekend are going to be more exciting because there's going to be more on offer and they'll be able to test out new things because from each session, uh, it's a different uh, situation, basically. So I understand that they want to try and make it more entertaining, uh, get more fans involved. However, I have to admit, just like having too many races in a season, I'm a bit worried about it. I like the fact that Friday was a bit calm and quiet and Saturday there was a little bit of a peak of excitement leading into Sunday where I could dedicate my whole day to just being excited for F1. With this new format, I fear that I'm going to be scared of missing out on something. I have to be active on a Friday. It's not ideal. Uh, we're still in lockdown, so it's perfect. But normally on a Friday, I might go out with some colleagues, have a beer, not think too much about what lies ahead. And then Saturday I could relax and enjoy F1. And that's not going to be the case with this. 
I'm excited to see how it's gonna work out. Absolutely, we should try it. But uh, yeah, sometimes there can be a bit too much of something, and that's what I fear they're trying to do. I agree. We discussed before that if you don't try, you don't know. Absolutely. So, you know, this will be the first time. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we'll see what happens. We're very open to seeing. Perhaps this could have been the best thing that was ever created. Absolutely. People refer to the the final few laps of the Baku yeah. uh, race which was tremendously exciting. But a um, few things that niggle, you know, mm -hmm. not necessarily issue that, that bother me, but some fair points that need to be addressed. Yep. Uh, firstly, Friday free practice is an opportunity for young drivers to come in. And we saw that with uh, Guan Yu Zhou yep. driving in the Alpine. We saw that with Callum Eilert driving in the um, Alfa Romeo. And Roy uh, Nisani. As well. Yes. Uh, so Nisani's son. <laughs> I have too, too much, much grip. grip. <laughs> I'm coming. <laughs> uh, uh, but uh, your son is doing a reasonably well. He is actually. Uh, so yeah. you can be happy. Yeah. And and respect to you as well for deciding to follow your dreams. Um, For to sure. use your money For to sure. good use. First Israeli so, yeah. driver to ever drive an F1 car. 2004 Hungarian Grand Prix free practice session. Yes. Absolutely, man. Um, but yeah, going back like there needs to be more opportunities for young drivers to come in. And I understand that, um, you know, the free practice session have been shortened, which, mm -hmm. you know, I am a fan of actually. Yeah, same. Um, that gave more excitement already. Exactly. So perhaps a, a good mix between the two of perhaps having FP1 back to the 90 minutes, but only being able to use young drivers as opposed to race drivers, or if they're going to use the race drivers, then only having the, the, the 60 minutes, you know, in FP1. Hmm. Um, then we also had Imola last year, where it was a two-day uh, race weekend. So they only had one free practice session and then immediately onto qualifying, which we sort of have the same, which... Again, adds excitement, especially that Imola race where lots of drivers haven't raced at Imola in a Formula One car uh, in a very long time. In fact, there are only two drivers on the grid that drove Formula One at Imola in 2005. So the lack of data and preparation also adds to the excitement. For sure. Then the sprint qualifying session, um, to me, it also looks like they sort of dilute the the not really importance but the significance of a qualifying session yes. because to me it dilutes it both it dilutes the qualifying of, yeah, and the race and the race so qualifying is hugely exciting simply because throughout the weekend on this racetrack for that one hour or rather for those um one minute 20 minute session and then the 15 minute and then the 10 minute sessions the cars are going to be the quickest they can be the whole weekend because they're not going to be as quick during the race because they're full of fuel they're they can't push the tires that much so they're not going to be as fast as the qualifying session so this is what formula one is all about finding absolute peak performance for that one lap to get the fastest time and that when i see a qualifying session happening um see the car see the speed see the you know the drivers have to be at a hundred percent even 102 percent to get you know attempt to get the perfect lap that sends shivers down my spine that gives exactly. me goosebumps exactly. that's what formula one should yeah. be the peak of maximum performance out of machine and out of the driver and that's what the race should be ideally as well you know mm -hmm. like low fuel loads i mean ideally if that's possible ideally, pushing yeah. the tires 
lap after lap. So the the like I understand the points that on the Friday, Saturday, and Sunday people have something to look out for. I look forward to the Saturday qualifying session. You know, same. Uh, we've gone through a few formats of uh, single lap qualifying, two lap qualifying, having the uh, the, the average speed. <laughs> the elimination Oof. disaster. Yeah. Um, but now we have a format that, that relatively works well. Um, few issues and kinks to work out, such as traffic, of course, exactly. and then slowing down before to find that space, which uh, could be addressed well. But yeah, it is um, it is worth keeping. Yeah. But it's also worth trying something new. Hundred percent. But my main issue is that. We're going to have a qualifying session on the Friday mm -hmm. to set the grid for the Saturday, but only the winner of that sprint qualifying race is going to be declared pole position holder. Yeah, which that irks is me. not right. No, you know that that irks me yeah. for sure because pole position. There's going to be two pole the, positions the this weekend fast. potentially. No, no, no. So basically, only the winner of the sprint qualifying session will hold pole position. But that's bull. The Friday result it doesn't matter. That's bull because yes. they're going to start the sprint race on pole position. That's pole position. They're starting where the pole is at the finish line. That's pole position. That's the slang term why it's called pole position. And they will yeah. do so again on Sunday. So, yeah, that annoys me as well. Like, where where do you put the significance of the pole lap? Like, is it? Is it even Which important? again dilutes the qualifying session on the Friday yeah. because like pole positions in they will go down in the history books. Yeah. We will remember we like even remember drivers who've only had one pole position in their entire career, but they still managed to get pole position, whereas a lot of great drivers never gotten a pole position before. Yep. But we remember that single pole. Absolutely. So it's it's you know, in I mentioned this in a previous like one of our earliest podcasts race pace wouldn't magically improve or or be equal in a short race format nope. you know it's they get off the line you have the first two laps where there's perhaps squabbling for positions and then it'll just be a train because not everyone wants to risk it and even those who want to risk it will risk for position for p12 p10 because the front runners will be out in front already having a gap after five laps and nothing much will unsettle the order unless they go full out on the friday session trying to get as far ahead of the grid yeah. but again this is 17 laps if it was five laps then perhaps you could have some craziness but 17 laps is like the first stint yeah. in the race it is. so again race pace comes into play how fast the car is going to be comes into play. So it's not like suddenly we're going to have in the sprint race an Alpine in front of a Red Bull no. for um, for 17 laps long. It's like it's it's just not going to happen. No, and we're also you know the drivers might be on a tight leash as I saw it written uh, by the engineers because they don't want to damage the cars etc. They want to risk too much. Most of the points are given on a Sunday. In any case, I think there's a lot of things to look forward to for this weekend. Like oh, one of those weekends, like. It comes once in a while where F1 introduces new things and there's going to be a lot of criticism. There's going to be a lot of praise, hopefully. Um, so so let's see. I'm, I'm really excited to see how it is. I just hope that if it doesn't work, that they realize that quick and don't try to just keep reintroducing it in a new format just to bring that more excitement because after a while, it'll be enough. When they did that with the elimination qualifying, they quickly realized it didn't work and scrapped it. 
In my opinion, they could have well, maybe. Well, no, we we did one more one more weekend, which we did one more. Everyone weekend. at that weekend said it should have been scrapped last time. Yes. Uh, and then they scrapped. But it. I appreciate that. That was that was mm. fair enough, just to see if it worked, and it didn't. And we haven't talked about it since. Thank God, because that was yeah, that was really weird. But yeah, I mean, God I'm, had nothing to do with it. It was all Bernie. Yeah, but thank Formula One God. Yeah. No. Yeah. I'm but I'm I'm excited to see what will happen. Like. Yeah, like I just said, there's going to be lots lots of things to look forward to. But another thing that I found out is the tire rule uh, for qualifying is gone. I don't know if it's gone for next year or gone for this race, but no matter what tire you qualify in Q2 on, you can start on whichever tire you want. And this was just like slowly written into the rules or they just actually removed section of the rules. And for this someone one, just realized but it's, it. it's, still, it's still a bit unclear because... Drivers has free choice of tire for the sprint qualifying session. Mm -hmm. But does that come out of their tire allocation? Or do they, like in Q3 of qualifying, they get an extra tire compound? I don't think they get an extra so, tire compound. But um, but it's also not just for this race, right? It's also for future races. Really? Yep. So for future races, if you... Uh, if you do, you don't want to go out in Q3 because 10th place is better and you can start on the tire. Or, or no, what? Yeah, P11, for instance. Um, I don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, you know, you don't want to go into Q3 so you can have a choice of tires to start on. That will be eliminated, so you'll have a free choice to start uh, the race on. Well, we have to speak about tires. Of course, we're going yeah. to Silverstone. Silverstone has always been a very tire-heavy track. We've had a lot of blowouts over the past couple of years. Especially last year, yeah, uh, went there twice. 2011. But uh, for this weekend, yeah. we're going to have a new uh, compound yeah. construction of the rear tires that Pirelli is going to bring. They tested it out in uh, FP1 yeah. uh, last uh, race. Um, I didn't really track it that well. I didn't watch uh, as well the, the the session. Didn't seem to be any major differences. The drivers just said it pretty much felt like the old tires no big difference so that's a positive so let's just hope that they made the tires more you know um durable durable not durable in the sense that you know there might not be a cliff but the, the construction won't fail if you're driving yeah it. yeah that's it yeah, yeah. um so if that's the case then really good because silverstone is is highly tired and we see a lot of incidents here that seem sometimes unfair because they're just pushing it too much and the tires can't seem to to keep up and these cars nowadays generate so much power and forces going through the tires it's actually insane so yeah i think it's silverstone like we have to talk about the track yeah uh, you know it's firstly it's the home race of a lot of teams mm -hmm. you know based in the uk mm -hmm. uh even mercedes being a german brand are still based uh, in the uk yep. uh who else do we have aston martin red bull racing alpine uh, so essentially only two, is that right? Ferrari, uh, no. Three, so we have Alfa Romeo Sauber, mm -hmm. um, Alfa Tauri and Ferrari yep. that are not based in the UK. Yep. So three out of ten teams not based out of the UK. Yep. So they consider this a home race. Um, the British fans are very passionate. Uh, I would have to stress British motorsport They're fans, not like the, the, the football, football fans. ones. Yeah, Ugh. so, I mean, different kind of, you yeah. can't call it passion, it's just fucking hooliganism. Yeah, F1 fans uh, are usually more uh, respective and cheer more than just boo. intelligence, Anyway, actually. that's another discussion for another time. But the the fans will be there, and it's always a fantastic environment, but the track Absolutely. itself is, is 
highlights. It's a challenge, um, a good mix between high speed corners. It is demanding, it is challenging, it is unforgiving. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's safe, but you push it too far and you'll be punished yeah. immediately. Absolutely. And that's what, that's a hallmark for a good track. It is. You know, so it is, um, when you think about the old school, Suzuka, uh, Imola, Imola is more unforgiving and yeah, just sure. unsafe, you know, unsafe as well. So Silverstone has done a good job as well, revamping uh, yeah. a couple of years ago, the track layout. I missed the Personally, I preferred, yeah, yeah, I preferred the old previous, uh, you know, the bridge section uh, before Abbey. So I'm yeah. not going to lie. I don't really like Silverstone as a track. A lot of people love it. And as a venue to watch F1, it's great, everything. But to drive it, like not, not that I've driven in real life, but in a sim, I don't like it simply because I'm not good at it. And it's one of those tracks where, you know, coming into the quick left, right, left, right, the maggots, beckets, all that, it's, yeah, I, I don't got a good flow, man. So I have so much respect for the drivers that just nail their qualifying laps on this track because even if mm -hmm. it is forgiving, one little mistake going into one sec section and then you screwed it up for the rest. And the new section they've, they've made, I don't like it really. Uh, the first corner is, is, is good, but it also does uh, give that, um, what do you call it? like It's more risky going into that section because you can take different lines. There's good overtaking opportunities. So absolutely, it is a great addition, but uh, maybe I'm just nostalgic. I mean, the, new, the new section, um, when... The, the very slow corners yeah, yeah, yeah. that set you I up before that, that first start. I mean, nothing to gain, everything to lose. Exactly. And those corners are a true test of driver ability. Absolutely. Which, you know, uh, driving in the sim or on a video game, they, I fucking hate them. Yeah. But I love them at the same time yeah, simply yeah, exactly. because there's nothing to gain, everything to lose. Yeah. But if you nail it, you're happy with yourself, but it's not reflected in the lap time. True. You just have to do a good job around it. Yeah. So as a Formula One driver, Usually on tracks, you'd have maybe one section, uh, one, two sections that are just truly exciting, demanding, challenging. Silverstone has multiple. That's true. And then they so have... So it, it is yeah. a real It is, track, absolutely. You know? Trust me, just don't... I'm just saying my opinion because I'm not good at this track, so I have a bit of relationship with it. It is a great track. And also that section that was built in 2010, uh, that's a bit tighter, etc. I mean, that was from a time when... They were trying to make a lot of stop starts on the tracks to increase overtaking possibilities and make the tracks more difficult and not satisfying. Now we're seeing the opposite trend. Now it's more high-speed corners to make it more exciting to follow. It's not necessarily the high-speed section you're supposed to overtake, but that's where you're supposed to close in. And then there's going to be a clear overtaking uh, spot. So that's what we're seeing now with uh, Abu Dhabi and Jeddah and Abbott Park, etc., and maybe they will give Silverstone a revamp as well at some point because, yeah, that section is a little bit of a thorn in the eye. It does cr create good racing, uh, but it's just not satisfying. And maybe that's just a first world problem, to be honest, because, yeah, in the end, it's, it just, is a, um, it's the not home just the track, but also, you know, the, the facilities and the complexes mm -hmm. around it. I mean, they've had a re complete revamp of the, the, the pit lane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so they they moved start finish from yeah. the old to to a different place with yep. entire new pit building. Uh, I'm not sure if you've seen any recent photos of Silverstone, but to the left of the start finish straight, they're building entire new buildings, and there's going to be a bridge connecting. Yeah, they're going to build uh, apartments, Ryan. Yeah, which 
hotels and apartments. That's insane. That's fucking cool. I mean, this is the BRDC. This is the BRDC, which are the owners of the service node, trying to monetize to make money because they have been losing a lot of money when Bernie they was have. in charge. Because of F1. Because of F1 exactly. so being too strict When you them. look at Silverstone, you have to think of it as an independent business, like a theme park. It is. You know? So it it would make sense. And they do see, like, you see the, the influx of investment that goes into property in London and such. So, you know, racing fans are the Rolex demographic that, yeah, it would make sense for them to have an apartment there. No, I just wish, I just wish that Silverstone would be safe no matter what, and it didn't have to rely on these kind of things because I think over the past couple of years, Bernie has been able to be really strict with Silverstone. Like the reason they revamped the circuit was because they were supposed to go to, to Donington, Donington yeah. in 2010. <laughs> and all they had was a and big hole. And then that hole. completely yeah. failed, which is such a shame because the owners of Donington lost a lot of money and it was a shame and they had to rebuild it back. And now, thank God, Donington is still there and is still used a lot for racing. But that could have gone completely haywire. And that went all the way Bernie wanted. He threatened Silverstone with not being able to hold the British Grand Prix if they didn't pay this amount of money. So you took it to Donington, but that was just a bluff because he didn't care about Donington. And in the end, Silverstone got it back and now they're paying a lot of money. And I don't know, Bernie has a weird relationship with the UK, I think, because well, he, he seems to he want to... He doesn't really care about the location of such. He just cares about his exactly. money. So the same tactic exactly. he applied in Japan when they went to Fuji instead of uh, Suzuka. And we've to but Fuji that made more sense. That made more but sense. But it was a power that play. That more sense. So at the end, yeah. Suzuka did give more money and they wanted to do the exact same with Silverstone. That was his tactic. Yeah, but I think I think with uh, Fuji and Suzuka, Honda and Toyota were both happy. Like I think they were both like, oh, okay, I mean, Honda were maybe a bit jealous, but let's give Toyota a run. Toyota quickly realized, Shh, this is way too expensive. Suzuka can have it back. Uh, we're Never mind, you know. And then they did that. And then Suzuka was like, yeah, fair enough, whatever. But that would have been ideal to swap between them, even though it'd be sad to see Suzuka not being there on the calendar every year. There's two great racetracks in Japan and Fuji can surely be revamped to become an even better racetrack. And it would have been ideal. And in the case of Silverstone, there should always be a British Grand Prix. There are not that many grade A circuits in the UK, to be honest. Like Brands Hatch, it's limited what you can actually do with that track. Donington as well. And then you have Silverstone. And then you have all the other Olton Parks, Netherton Park, uh, all these little tracks, which are amazing track, but they're not made for I F1. Mean, they're so, amazing tracks for the junior formula. Formula 3, Snetterton is just insane. Uh, yeah, and Olton Park is one of my the, favorite tracks of all time. It's the British Nordsch Life. Yeah, but Absolutely with these boats of two meters of today, uh, yeah. what is it? Two meters so wide. Is it like almost six meters in length or something like that? It's it's just not possible. Yeah. No, it's not. So Silverstone is the go-to place in the UK. The UK needs to have a Grand Prix. It's the home of Grand Prix racing in many ways, with France as well, of course. And so I think in that case, it should kind of be um, safe. I do. I, I, but, uh, I do. That irks me, the home of this, you know? I mean, uh, you had the entire... Uh, I wouldn't say European Union, but European nations, countries uh, in the football supporting Italy simply because everyone got fucking tired of hearing, oh, it's coming home, it's coming home. That's why all you fucking hear for like... Yeah, yeah, but that's only the English. That's that's specifically the English thing that they're so important in football when the rest of the world actually don't care. The English see the Germans as the main rivals or the Germans are like, 
what? We have the Netherlands as the rivals. And then it's like, yeah, we have the Germans. What the fuck are you talking about? What the fuck are you talking about, England? Like, we, we don't even really care about You have a good Premier League. Sure, that's interesting. But, you know, they think of themselves as the main protagonist. And that's just, uh, it's weird. They have this weird relationship with football. So, yeah, like the the home of Grand Prix yes. Racing, that also irks me. It's a world champion. Of course, you have your origins. Um, the motorsport industry is, is hugely significant for the, the British economy. Like I said, three out yep. of, uh, seven out of ten teams are based in the UK. So um, it, it then does create a sort of uh, a, a barrier, accessibility barrier as well, because what they have, of course, they, they've always wanted to attract the top talents. And more often than not, they have come from Oxbridge. So imagine being a, a foreigner, a person of color from a, a developing nation. Like The chances of making it into Formula One would be huge Absolutely. if you're not in that very elitist niche environment where just yeah. entry... Yeah, uh, I mean, the, the, the reason why we call it the so home of motorsports is I, mainly also because the first F1 race was in Silverstone. And that's, of course, a, a big occasion. Um, but the first race was in France. France, initially, before the Second World War, were the motor racing nation. They, they really had all these races going on, you know, Le Mans, Monaco as well, to a certain extent, even though it's not France, of course. Um, so you had that. And then, you know, a lot of the industry, uh, probably also because of how the UK won the Second World War, Germany lost. Before that, Germany had a lot of industry in motorsports, you know, with Auto Union uh, as well and Mercedes. Uh, but then it moved to UK, mm-hmm. which I think is great. I understand why it's then the home of motorsport. You see, like you said, all the teams are based in UK almost, engine manufacturers as well. Uh, but if we want to talk about diversity and inclusion, uh, this should be diversified across the whole world. Right. Um, at the moment, it's so concentrated in the UK. Fair play to the UK. And we saw Toyota try to have something in Germany. We see Renault having issues because it's in France, like not necessarily the team itself, but the engine manufacturing and all these kind of things are in France. And the labor cost going into that compared to, for instance, Germany is very different, even though Germany has very strict labor laws, etc. Um, but yeah. They, it was still a better investment, uh, return on investment for I'll Mercedes to have factory in Germany and UK, whereas Renault have in France and the UK. And that says a lot because Renault also put a lot of money into this development, but simply just didn't get as much out of it. Compare that to a team like Sauber, Alfa Romeo, um, based in Switzerland. And they've have always had yeah. uh, issues recruiting. Simply yeah. because, yes, they can offer the, the Swiss lifestyle. You know, there are obvious advantages of living yeah. in Switzerland. Ask Kimi Raikkonen, ask Sebastian Vettel. Um, but yeah. they don't have an endless money pot like Ferrari. Ferrari is the same. They also have issues recruiting because every, like most of the talent is based in the UK. Most of the talent tend to be, you know, um, British. Yeah. And they prefer to stay home, you know. They have their families, they have their home. So in order for Ferrari to recruit people, which they have successfully done in the past, you know, a lot of key players in around all the teams are come from Ferrari, but Ferrari has a big bag of money they can throw at people. Sauber doesn't. So for them, uh, under the guise of BMW, uh, where they had a new winter and the facilities were fantastic, you know, that was an, uh, an impulse for them to recruit all these people, Andrea Seidel being one of them. 
Um, but yeah, the wind tunnel still perfect, but it's already like how many yeah. years old? Uh, investment is needed again, and they've changed owners a couple of times already. Um, good news, yeah. breaking news of, of today is that the Alfa Romeo brand will be uh, in Formula One for the coming uh, years as well. So that's great news. But yeah, I think it's just becoming just a bit, well, or not I a agree. bit, but too concentrated. I agree. Uh, um, and I think if we want to talk about diversity and inclusion, F1 should be visible all over the world where people would want to have possibly an interest in it. And just to talk about diversity and inclusion, so the Hamilton Commission has also just been released or some parts of it have been released. The report, yeah, so Lewis mm -hmm. Hamilton uh, has been the head of a commission to look into diversity and issues, how to make F1 more diverse and what are the obstacles, mm -hmm. etc. And some really interesting findings there, even though it's only just like beginning, this is such a good start. And there was an interview uh, with a former engineer or mechanic from a team talking about how he experienced like casual racism and stuff and i'm sure a lot of people can can relate to that you know and most people would probably laugh it off you know unless you know they're with friends or whatever but uh, yeah it just goes to show how how much there still is to go and i think part of it is also because f1 is maybe concentrated too much in a single region uh it becomes so culturally um homogenous that you, you you stop to look at the bigger picture for instance that could be um you know diversity and inclusion and not to have these kind of inside jokes and let casual racism run wild in the paddock for instance so yeah it's really interesting i ha i am so happy and hopeful to see what what will uh, will come of this in the end absolutely i completely echo that that sentiment more needs to be done yeah. and hopefully it starts uh just going a bit uh backwards on on the point mm -hmm. um one reason why i enjoy seeing the Haas team uh, in existence like everyone loves Gunter Steiner but the fact that they are essentially trying to bridge the gap between the More racing laundry. world in America oh. where there's a lot <laughs> that is well I mean the the origins of the Haas team and not the the current state uh, of affairs of the Haas team so is that, uh, yeah I mean American Russian it doesn't matter but essentially the link between of course you have uh, an entire motor sports world in America as well um, not much emphasis on, on, on true innovation and manufacturing because a lot of it is, is a spec, you know, is stock, mm -hmm. but there's like most composite, uh, technologies originate in the U S and are still used there. I mean, they're not used, uh, to the extent in formula one, but, but because manufacturing, manufacturing is in Europe. Yeah. So manufacturing wise, there's still a lot of, 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 of innovation and, and room for development from the u.s so Haas has a base in the u.s they have a factory where most of it is done in the i believe it's the former arrows facilities that they yeah. took over but we should encourage more 100%. more we should facilitate more ease and and development and investments to try to stimulate other regions in the world to truly make it a global yeah. Uh, you know what, so, Brian? You know what we could do? You know what? Not not we, but you know what they should with do? With what and bank I, account? Yeah. You no, know how much I interest think... I received from my bank lately? Four cents. Damn. Yeah. Inflation and all that. I don't want to think about it. I'm scared. Yeah. But what they should do and what I think would be ideal for Haas is to go in a partnership with some universities in America. They have so much there. Imagine them, Haas, being able to, you know, 
be part of an investment that could make a motorsport section in a great American university. And here you would have a lot of talent coming out. You could manufacture things here. You could test out things and have to have a partnership with them. That would be perfect. And I, I wish like that would be uh, a go-to. I know we have these formula um, things in universities going on already as well, but I think we could we could already start with F1 teams having these kind of cooperations, you know, because that would be a win-win. And I think in Haas's sake, like, yeah, they, it's not something they can just start. They need a base in, in Europe as well. The car is made by Dallara as well. Mm-hmm. They have office in the UK and then in America as well. Um, but like you said, I think it's great that someone had the balls to actually do something like this. Mm-hmm. And that should always be encouraged. Um, even if at the moment they're in a bit of trouble and even if the team has had some yeah weird, weird history uh, in recent F1, I think we should be able to showcase Haas as a success story so other p- teams will, will join F1. We saw in 2010 when we allowed t- uh, three teams to join, and it was a complete, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was not ideal. Let's just mm. put it that way. It did pave the way for a lot of young drivers, and it was great, and the idea yeah. was great. Yeah. Um, I just hope there would have been more support for these teams, so they could have got off to a better start. I think you know when talking about Formula One, and Formula One is changing, and yeah. Formula One has to change. Formula That's the definition for of the Formula better. One, man. exactly. So ever evolving and with key areas have been lagging behind one of which of course is diversity um going green is also massively important so formula one has always been the pinnacle of motorsports but they've sort of isolated themselves from the rest of the world the rest of the Mm -hmm. industries uh as well so uh i think uh i believe it was adrian newey in in his book mentioned um, most of the aerodynamicists uh, and engineers um, in the aviation industry. They could spend years and years on research and development and manufacturing that would ultimately never see the light of day in, in, in everyday life, simply because the um, safety is not guaranteed, the costs of manufacturing are too high. So. Um, the difference between motorsports and the aviation industry is that in the motorsports, they do manufacture it, they do test it, and then make the decision to keep it or not. But um, there, no, Formula One is not unique in the sense. Um, for example, um, Martin Whitmarsh, even Adrian Newey are involved with the America's Cup, which is mm-hmm. um, the, the high-speed sailing sort of thing, also made out of carbon fiber. And I see a lot of similarities between uh, the America's Cup of Formula One, even um, Tour de France right now is happening. I see so many similarities between that. So if we can exchange not only knowledge, but technology and information, yeah. we could make Formula One uh, you know, a, a more open, inclusive, uh, yeah. accessible place. That and even, and even keep costs down uh, at the same yeah. time with the free in- exchange of information. Well, of course, remaining competitive and unique and not becoming a spec series. Absolutely. And one of the things that also really irks me is all the technology that has been tried in F1. Because sometimes F1 is not like the real world in the sense that if you want to market something to commercial use, like you said, Ryan, you would have to go through a lot more regulation and it has to be really foolproof. Let's just look at vaccine rollouts, etc. or other medical things. There's such strict... Um, procedures which is good of course f1 necessary doesn't have that always because it is like this little world within the world 
where you can test out these things. So there's been a lot of ex experimentation going on. Um, and one of the one of the things that I wish would have been used more in aut the automotive industry, for instance, if, if it had been developed, is for instance the CVT gearbox and the um, active suspension, for instance. Because those were two technologies that Williams kind of developed, uh, not active suspension and not the technologies themselves are not something Williams have developed. They existed already, but they kind of made use of it in F1 and the CVT gearbox never saw the day. But that would have been something really interesting. And imagine where the electric car industry would be had F1 gone into that, let's say, in the 60s or 70s. You know, it would have been in a completely different place because the rate of development would have gone so much more up because when you think about it the most primitive part of an f1 car today is the internal combustion engine literally taking something that can explode put it in a little chamber let it go bang many times something moves it moves a rod and that's how you get propulsion and but, then you have all which these is insane around to it think to that maximize it. the efficiency of the combustions formula one are still yeah. so much higher than in everyday road cars yeah yeah, yeah absolutely they are so it's you know, okay, so we're going to have a presentation up next from Formula One introducing the 2022 cars. Yep. As well as in Austria, a lot of manufacturers came together to discuss yep. the future of the engine in Formula One from 2020. I think a lot of it has to do with the fuel. Five. Yeah. It's going to be really interesting. Synthetic, um, I believe. Synthetic be fuels, biofuels, yeah. the possibility of that because if the manufacturing of synthetic fuels and biofuels goes down, and it creates less of a CO2 and it is better for the environment, it will become more readily available. And it's, it's, it's a part of, you know, um, the automotive industry that we haven't really dwelled into too much. It's the same with hydrogen technology, etc. We know the technology, it works, but we need to optimize it. And if, in order to optimize it, we need to get more data. It needs to be tested. It needs to be used. There needs to be an interest in it. And one way of doing that is with F1. Now with the hybrid technology, um, hybrid cars existed before, but we, we've seen how the F1 hybrid system is now implemented in road cars, but mostly in supercars, like with the curse system, for instance, and regenerative braking, uh, for instance. Not that it's also not a new concept, but, you know, we had a dynamo on a bicycle for a light. I don't know if you had that, Ryan, a little thing you can flick on and it hit the wheel. Exactly. And it gave some It ruined my tire, though. It did. Yeah. And but that that's basically the the simple curse in a way, you know. Instead of that light, it would just be charging a battery, and you could bring it back. Um, so and the flywheel system with curse as well that Williams developed mm -hmm. has so much potential in that. And all these little technologies shouldn't just stay in F one and then be forgotten about. They should be shared, and we should take more knowledge from the others, just like Honda did with their jet jet program, how to get the one of their shafts to be stable in their engines, for instance, you know. Last things from you, Christopher. Uh, let's see what sprint qualifying goes. I hope everyone has an open mind and uh, everyone takes good note because I think all the comments and all the feedback that everyone can get from this is going to be important. And I love to read about it and see what people have thought. Uh, maybe it's a massive success. That would be amazing. Maybe it's not. Maybe there's things that can work on. So let's see. Uh, in any case, we have a good championship battle going on with us and... Whether Max wins or Lewis wins this race or someone else, um, my money's a bit on Lewis now. I think he's starting to get a bit uh, fired up. Um, so, yeah, let's see. I, I think it's going to be a, a great weekend anyways. Cool. Last thing for me um, will be directed to Mr. Wolf, Toto. Um, stop kidding yourselves and the rest of the world. 
we're all waiting for the announcement of Mercedes car number 63. Mm-hmm. Um, so just get it over with. Um, yeah. It, it's much exactly. deserved. And uh, exactly. put car 77 either back into the Williams and out of his yeah. misery as well. I think that would be so good if Bottas went back to Williams and Williams on an upward trajectory because then we would see the true pace of Bottas because Bottas is super quick. It's just that he's in team Hamilton. Not that I'm saying the team is against him, but it's hard having Lewis as a teammate. And uh, I think his uh, his worth has, has gotten down a little bit. But remember in 2013-14 when he was at Williams, he was, yeah, he was really pushing it and he had a good junior career. So... Bottas is definitely a, a star driver and I think he would do great in a Williams and they need a really strong first driver as well if Russell leaves so yeah so Let's sprint see. qualifying uh, here we come uh, once mm-hmm. that occurs once the weekend is done we shall be back as always yep For, uh, don't forget to follow us on our social medias and most importantly please do not stop washing them hands keep washing them hands alright bye guys <laughs>